Hi, I'm Helen, and this is Yellow Chair Collective Season 3, Episode 2. Now, I have to confess something. This is probably an episode that made me emotional personally because it features one of our therapists, Jeff Yum. And Jeff gets really vulnerable about losing his father at the age of 16, having to go through high school, feeling like something was wrong, and not really having a father figure and looking for a father figure during that time. I know that at the time of this episode's release, if you're listening to this at the time of its release, it's going to be around the time of Thanksgiving and Christmas. And so I wanted to provide a trigger warning for those that might be feeling lonely to watch it during their own time. Second, I really do believe personally that this will help a ton of people in their journey in rediscovering who they are outside of other people's judgment. Jeff gets really vulnerable about what it was like for him growing up as someone who felt like he had to be strong and couldn't be as sensitive as he was. And I think that one of the biggest messages out of this episode is that you don't need to be like everyone else to make a positive impact. Sometimes being yourself is one of the greatest gifts that you could ever provide to people. So I hope that this inspires you. Like we said before, toxic masculinity isn't meant to be one of those things that should make you fearful of living the life that you want to live. If anything, understanding the systems that we're a part of can help us walk in the way that helps us accept ourselves more. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode. This is Jeff Yum. My name is Helen Garcia, pronoun she, her, and you're listening to the Yellow Chair Collective, the podcast. So you remember funerals. I do. How you made that connection between toxic masculinity and funerals. What is that connection? For me, I experienced a lot of death in my life. And I find myself being so emotional, meaning Mm -hmm. I feel it in my body and I have to clench my palms because my palms hurt really bad when I'm in deep sadness. And the thing that I was told at least when I was nine years old, when we were in a limo behind the hearse and my uncles, from what I know, would tell me, boys don't cry or men don't cry wipe your tears and i remember i don't know if i yelled at them but i said i'm gonna cry if i want to cry and ever since then i've tried to hold back the emotions funerals and it just comes pouring out i remember i was at another funeral church member who i wasn't even close to But I just felt such deep sadness. And I look around and none of the other guys are crying, even the people who are related to this person. And I was not related to this person. And I was thinking, why am I the only Korean male crying at these things? And it's all the females that I know are just, they're crying hysterically. And I'm, All the women are crying. None of the guys are crying. I'm the guy that's crying. 
Um, mm. And I remember feeling alone in that. And the other thing is in high school, back in the early 2000s, guys didn't cry that much and they hid their emotions a lot. And there's a lot of locker room talk, but I've noticed if you pull a group of people in closer, then you can find more vulnerability. But when it's a mass group, nope, forget it. Usually guys don't show their emotions. Mm. And so that's how I connect toxic masculinity to funerals because men just don't cry. Yeah. At least from my experience. And so I remember that being a big point in my culture where I'm like, I don't like this part of my culture where men have to be stoic and I don't think it's healthy. <laughs> Even in my work as a clinician, I've noticed the acceptable emotion that Asian males can feel is anger and rage, but nothing else. It's almost what did, normalized. What did that do to you as a person? Because earlier in our conversation, you said whenever you feel emotion, you tend to clench your fists. Like this. Because like the palms that. were hurt. Yeah. I don't know why. I always remember it being Am I being crucified like Jesus? Because it freaking hurts. <laughs> I've never heard anyone tell me that before, that like they just Taylor. feel emotion. I what feel does that it. feel like for someone who doesn't know? It, it's worse than a paper cut, I'll tell you that. <laughs> it's a, an aching pain in the palm of my hands to the point wow. where I have to clutch it in order to dampen the pain i remember feeling very shaky and crying my shoulders my hands because i'm clenching my palms almost like something is sitting on my chest wow yeah when i'm it, in deep sadness it, it's only deep sadness it's not like anxiety nervousness so for me, that's deep science, sadness. Anxiety is more, okay, I've had a situation where I would get hot, like a oh, hot flash. <laughs> Traditionally, women would say, men don't get hot flash. I'm like, whoa, you could get an anxiety attack. And it's, I feel this warmth, and then I feel it, and I just start sweating. My back is sweaty. My chest is sweaty. My hands are clammy shaky in my body but there's no pain associated with anxiety for me mm. what else sort of like a nervous feeling in my gut and anxiety also manifests i've i've had a sensation where it was like a tingly numb sensation in my upper chest area to the point where i had to go get an ekg and they do a ultrasound on my lungs to see if everything was okay and there was nothing and so that's how stress and anxiety manifests for me but it, yeah i was i'm genuinely curious you ever did you ever grow up thinking is there something wrong with me that i'm the only male in my culture and at my church who 
actually feels this deeply. Yes. (laughs) I have felt different. More so than I'm the feely type and not man's man, if you want to call it that. I'm sure there's a ton of guys who feel the same way that I felt, but just did not put a finger to it. I distinctly remember feeling different in college. All of all of my friends, call, closest guy friends, we still all talk to this day. And I remember in being a devotions group, and these guys don't talk about their feelings as much. And I'm the one who has to be vulnerable to break the ice, and then we all start crying. But it always took a catalyst to do it. And I remember getting so frustrated with these guys. I said, guys. I feel like the thumb because the thumb <laughs> is separate from all the other fingers. Like it, yeah. it has its own thing. It's not related to any of these other digits. And I remember one of my buddies, he's like the most man's man. He does construction, but he also loves art. Um, and he's like, <laughs> he puts his head down and works. You see all these qualities subconsciously attaches to what a man is. And I was always jealous of that. Like, why couldn't I be like that? But I remember him saying, like, as much as you feel different from us, we we needed you to be that person in our group or else we would have never opened up to each other. And so I'm still wrestling with it, but I don't feel like I stick out that much now. So it was nice to have their validation. Be like, no, we needed you. We just did not open up to each other. You have a way of just like being real about things. Do you think it comes from being sensitive? Or do you think it just comes with experiencing death? Both. I didn't know about sensitive until two years into my therapy journey, which was 2019. (laughs) And my therapist like, I just feel like you fit this category of sensitive. I was like, okay, cool. Another (laughs) label. I'm tired of this crap. But when I read all the distinctions about it, I'm like, yes. Mm. I'm sensitive to loud noises at certain types of days. I'm very sensitive to like hot weather or cold weather. I feel so exhausted at the end of the day. And I think in my past, It was always go, go, go to try and avoid what I was feeling. So just keep playing tennis or don't hang out with friends. Just keep playing tennis. And I remember feeling so tired, but that was my answer. How are you doing, Jeff? I'm tired. What else is new? (laughs) But it's like I'm taking in so much stimuli all the time that I don't even, I didn't know it. What did playing tennis do for you that talking to people didn't? Playing tennis... As much as it was a, I was a mental head case, (laughs) (laughs) it was a place for me to just be, especially in high school. I like, and I really enjoyed the team aspect so I could get my mind off of things, have the older students cheer for me. I was number one at our high school. So it kind of felt nice to like be praised. Camaraderie. Also, I was a, was it latchkey kid? I think that's what it's called. Like, my, What's a latchkey kid? So basically, the, literally, the kid has a key to their home. Parents aren't home. 
to take care of them, so they take care of themselves. And for me, it was kind of both like, especially in high school when my my dad passed away and my mom had to run two restaurants, she didn't have time to look after after us. So my sister and I would as finish we as soon as we finished school, we'd either go to tennis practice, tennis matches, or we'd go straight to the athletic club to play in private lesson, group tennis lesson, and stay there till late until she was able to pick us up. I remember sitting on that bench a lot of the time just waiting for my mom to get there. And it was, I haven't thought about this memory in a long time, actually. What's coming up for you when you think about sitting on that bench after tennis? Wishing that my mom was around more. I know she didn't. I've had so much resentment built up from my mom because I wanted her to care for me in the way that I saw like other parents take care of their kids. But I had to grow up at a very young age, like make my own food, figure out food. My mom's not there. Look out for my younger sister. And so I also think having mainly female in my family, all my teachers were females, like those also impact us too as kids or as boys or whoever because we're looking out for them or seeking out for their approval and validation i know your dad died when you were 15 and then you had your high school counselor sort of like a second dad yeah he now that i think about it (laughs) he's just this tall burly man but he had a very soft side to him soft meaning not in weakness to the audience who are listening (laughs) but a a gentleness he i remember he got all my teachers into one conference room and he sat me down and it was like this long table of all my teachers on the side and my counselor's like jeff we're here to support you but in order to cat or i don't know what the verb form of catalyst is but I spoke out like I was very open and vulnerable about my struggle. And I just, but I think like that was me ever since I was a little kid. Cause my Mm -hmm. mom told me my sister would just kind of be quiet and crawl out of the baby carriage by herself. (laughs) And she was so independent. And I'm just like, (laughs) and my mom would come get me. (laughs) My sister would learn how to cut her own fingernails, but I'd be like, mom, can you do it for me? And so you were outspoken as a kid. Yes. Like yeah. help me. And I, that's what I did at high, in high school. Like I'm not okay and I need help. And so my counselor helped me in that way. But my sister, she didn't say a word. And so my mm-hmm. counselor just assumed she was okay. But wow. I saw it after my counselor, like every other day, if not every day, just crying. Wow. Couldn't do it on my own. Couldn't. Yeah. That reminds me of a story. I struggled with like anxiety and depression all throughout my teen years. Mm -hmm. And I had a mentor at church who like actually saw me. Like I'm Mm. I thought I was really good at masking my emotions. (laughs) And when people would ask me, like, hey, how are you doing? I'd be like, good. 
And I, my, my face was just like, (laughs) yeah, clearly good. And my face was just numb the entire time. And our stories are sort of flipped because my mom worked like three jobs. So my dad took care of me a lot. So in the Filipino culture, the theme was like, you just kind of get to work and you push past your emotions. And so I, I felt like I never really had a healthy example of what it meant to be a woman who had emotions, but like could, could express them. So like growing up, I would, I would just like numb out my emotions. And for me, I had a mentor at 14 who would like literally seek me out and ask me how I was doing every single week. And it did a lot for me because it it was almost like the start of my healing. Like someone actually sees me. And it sounds like that's what your counselor did for you. Honestly. And my teachers too. Like, I wouldn't want to eat lunch with my friends. Like, yeah, they're kind of not, I don't want to say them. Not a lot of kids at that age don't have those skills. Or it's like, hey, are you doing okay? Or like, you'll be okay. Like, it's just, there's an ending point, but I, man, I still remember my high school lit teacher. Like she sent me a card last year for Christmas oh. and I still have it. And I saw my guidance counselor for the first time in 15 years, like last December. And I remember just breaking down and crying because all the memories are coming back. And he's like, Jeff, I can't believe you're 30, man. I was like, <laughs> it's been 15 years. Holy cow. But yeah, he, he saw me. I mean, granted, I called, but he did see me. Yeah. Yeah. What did you learn about what a man could be from him? I would I would say the other person would be my high school tennis coach, too. Mm. Both. So, Mr. Frankel, if you ever listen to this. He was tall, like 6'3", 6'2". He was just gentle, very Mm -hmm. gentle. Had like a big laugh, a mustache, kind of smelled like pepper. And (laughs) he was just very gentle. He never raised his voice. When he needed to be serious, he kind of had a more sterner, stern voice. But most of the time, it's like very encouraging. And it was there for me whenever I needed something. My high school coach, he was more of a like a dude's dude. He coached, he, he was, his whole family was an Olympian and he coached tons of sports. So he knew like the dynamics. But even then, like he was hard when he needed to be. And when I made a mistake, he would come over very gently and be like, that was not okay. This is something that you will need to apologize for in front of the whole team, not to embarrass you, but as a growing opportunity. But he never once, like, they both never ridiculed me or told me I couldn't feel a certain way. So I think I learned a lot from them. (laughs) Yeah. So just so I can understand, like for you, Um, you you thought that like being masculine meant calling someone out and like embarrassing them is that what you're saying not 
Not necessarily. I think those are just in the ways that I've seen support. And I didn't really have a framework to work off of. The only thing I can remember from my dad is don't yell at your mom or your sister from upstairs. Like, talk to them, come up to them and talk to them. Don't yell. You shouldn't hit your mom or your sister. It was those kinds of things. But once I hit, came to high school, like, I didn't, I didn't learn all those things. Yeah. So I feel like I missed out on a lot of things because my dad was a very, he would raise his voice when he absolutely needed to, but he was never the one to like always be yelling or whatnot. So I do miss his more gracious side. <laughs> my mom was stern. <laughs> <laughs> she was the hard mom oh my gosh but she had to be so why did she have to be she had to play both roles mom and dad punisher encourager she ran the whole show quite frankly she, she was telling me stories my dad would complain a lot and my mom would just put her head down and work so I do have to thank my mom for that, but she had to play both. And I think that was hard for her. Yeah. You talk about like how your mom had to run two restaurants after your dad died when um, you were in high school. What was your family like before like he died? Hmm. If you can remember, because that was... Yeah, I, I mean, I was 14. <laughs> I remember we were always together. We didn't go on very, granted, I think we went on one or two vacations in the first zero to 14. But church we always went to as a family. I remember we would always have like family gatherings at other church members' houses. Every, like, Friday night, we'd be with other kids' families and running around the house. Um, some week, a lot of weekends, we would be at our dad's convenience store doing homework or just watching TV for hours and hours on end. Mom was always with us. And mm. then she would pick us. No, no, she'd never pick us up. <laughs> we had to ride the bus. But mom was home, and then dad would come home like 10 late. But yeah, I mean, at least that was normal to me. Just, And then my dad was like, hey, we should, or I should at least take Sunday off. And so then that's when they started the, in the restaurant business. And then this whole shit happened. So it's like just when he wanted to spend more time with his family, this whole thing happened. And I think that is where I feel the most like frustration because my, my dad just wanted to set aside more time to hang out with us. And then wrong place at the wrong time kind of thing happened. So, yeah. I, 
you have a way of like sharing stories, Jeff, where I can literally see myself where you were. Like you're very good at highlighting moments in your life, but there's like a lot of grief to your story. Like there's a lot of loss there because like, I still go back to those moments where like tennis was your only outlet where there was a clear beginning and there was a clear end. But then you had to live through having to be the oldest in your family, like having to grow up really quickly and then having to like take care of your younger sister. That's a lot to go through. And I'm not saying that it's a lot just as like a caveat. I'm meaning grief, death of a dad, like having to be a highly sensitive guy. And not really having your dad to like ask questions or set an example. And so you've had to almost look for resources. Yeah, that was the biggest thing in EMDR therapy. It's the type of therapy that my therapist did for me. And it's like I didn't have a a secure person or a, a provider or I had to like look for those outside of my own family. To mention your first point... <laughs> I've had so many women tell me this, like, wow, you're so good at describing things in details. (laughs) And I mean, I was like, yeah, guys don't talk a lot in detail. It's like very to the point. That's the other thing that I noticed. But yeah, I had to resource my own sense of like, who are the male role models in my life? I remember finding that a lot in my college friends, too. When we weren't supposed to do certain things on campus, they would, <laughs> they would like dog me a little bit, but always one of them would come by and be like, hey, don't feel pressured. You just do what you got to do, okay? I was like, okay. I felt like their younger brother somehow. <laughs> but I had to learn a lot through them vicariously and, I feel like I'm still trying to figure it out. I've always said this very thing. I think it would be much easier for me to be a girl dad than to be like a boy dad because I wouldn't know what to pass on to this kid if we're speaking in more gender terms. I want to back up a little bit because you said said something earlier that I'm like, oh, I never thought of it that way. The reason why I was complimenting you about like the details, Uh I'll give you a backstory. I joined a storytelling group and like one of the writers, he's also Korean American. He immigrated here when he was 10, actually. So he's like one and a half gen. And he talks about like being able to tell things in moments, but it's interesting how like compliments can be perceived in such a different way based on like your background and where you're coming from because you I think have noticed the differences because I think if you're right like if I was if we had the tables turned and I was telling you about those moments you wouldn't then be complimenting me about the details (laughs) I'd be like oh she's just talking she's just talking and I think that's that's something that I think goes in line with like gender norms and just like what is quote expected from a woman versus a man because it's normal for women to feel emotions and for women to cry yeah Yeah. and 
that kind of ties into your comments about it's easier for me to be a girl dad than to be a guy dad. I can counter and say that you can be both or have a gender neutral baby. Or that too. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, true. Woke, woke, stay woke. You know, (laughs) when I was in Korea, a lot of the, like my female friends, they would say the same thing. Wow. If I may say it in Korean, which means you speak with so much detail. And I'm like, you're saying that as if you're surprised. And they're like, yeah, we are. I was like, okay, here we go again. Oh my God. I've heard this before. I, I won't lie. I will also say that I've noticed with like my gay or queer friends as well, that they would also speak in more specific details, like how they talk about food, whether that's from a gender identity or sexual orientation that's labeled to certain people. And I don't think it should be that way. I mean, do you. (laughs) I'm trying to do that more. I agree with you. I think that, like, for me, I'm constantly battling with these labels of, like, okay, I'm, I'm very ambitious. I'm very high achieving. If I'm asked to do something, I always ask myself the question of like, is this my best? And I've heard people say to me, like, that's a very masculine quality. And I don't think it is. I think it's just like me being Helen. And so like for someone listening to this, like if they start to see themselves in you, Jeff, like, oh, I'm pretty sensitive. I have all of these judgments towards myself. Like, do you have any recommendations on how they can start taking those steps to like start to really love themselves and to accept themselves? That's a, that's a a, difficult question. That's a tough question. Do I have a suggestion? Yes. I think at a certain point, you may, that's my hope is that you will realize that what you are trying to go against isn't working for you, whether that's trying to hide your emotions, trying to not speak in details or whatever. (laughs) At least for me, there came a point where I was like, am I living authentically by trying to shut down in my emotions? I don't think I am. I feel like I'm bottling it up and it's not helpful for me. Which is why even if today, like, it's hard for me to call my friend, I beg, hey, yo, I'm pissed off. I'm not doing well. Or I'm depressed. I need your help. Like, I can't repress that or else I will be self-isolating. It's going to hurt me. So to anyone who feels like they can't, it's one of those things where you find out, like, oh, man, I don't know if I can keep going. And also, I want to affirm whoever's listening, if you feel this way, like there's nothing wrong. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with you. <laughs> um, I think that took me a long time for self-acceptance. And ooh, I'll be honest, I'm still working on it. Yeah. There are times where I get frustrated. I'm like, man, why can't I just like put my head down and work instead of reach into myself and be like, I feel so <laughs> tired or I'm over this. But yeah, know that you're allowed to feel however way you feel. How do you, when you start to 
repress your feelings? Like what are some things that you do? Like signs that you've caught yourself doing? Staying in bed. I'm usually an early riser, so probably pay attention to your patterns. I'm usually up 6.30, 7 in the morning. I go to bed at 10. But it's when I start to ebb and flow out of that, like wake up at 9, sleep at 12. I notice my space starts to get a little bit crazy. Like I'm usually a type A neat freak, but this week and last week hasn't been great. So there's stuff I need to throw away. I have three cans of sparkling water that are all empty that needs to be tossed. I mean, it's in disarray. So I would pay attention to those things. Mm. Are you okay, Jeff? There's a lot that I'm thinking about. Yeah, there's a lot that I'm thinking about. And I can notice myself kind of going into more, I guess you could say, toxic masculine traits of like, I don't want to open up about this. I've been yapping about it for too long. I should just like take action and do something about it. (laughs) Like Mm. those are the narratives that go through my head. I guess this is a real time example of the question that you asked, but like, I have to honor what I was doing before and not shut myself out, reach out to people that I've talked to you about before. Like, even if it's trusted people, you don't, you don't need that many. If you have like three, call them up, be real with them and open the floor so that they can also be vulnerable. Yeah. Do you have friends that like seek you out when they start to notice you start shutting down? See, this is where the my guy friends need to <laughs> pay attention. Guy friends, a if you're listening bit. to this, <laughs> hey, hey, to all, I mean, to any friend out there, start to notice patterns. Okay, I think this is just a lesson for everybody. Like. It's a hard time for everybody. If I'm usually the one who calls my friends. The last like year, year and a half, two years, I haven't been that intentional friend. So I want to be apologetic about it, but also I can't because I haven't been able to give. And I think that's where I would call out my friends. Like this pattern of me and my hope is that you would reach out when I'm not. Like being intentional with you. Some of my friends who I work with notice and they reach out. But then again, like I talk to them on a more daily basis. And for my closest friends, it's like once a week type. So pay attention. Don't be afraid to ask how you are. If they're like, oh, yeah, whatever. It's cool. Be like, how are you really doing? (laughs) And just Something, pause. Yeah, just pause and like really ask someone what's really going on. Yeah. Yeah. And don't be afraid to ask the hard questions. Ask about anything. Don't feel bad. You're not burdening them. Like for me, and maybe this is just me, but like my buddy just had a child. And my thing is like, if I had two children right now, 
I might feel a lot of pressure. So I would ask them like, hey, like what's the pressures that you're feeling or how are you feeling overwhelmed? And normalize it because having a child is overwhelming. It can be. <laughs> Not in a bad way or a good way, just it is overwhelming. Yeah. So pick up the phone and call your friends. <laughs> <laughs> there was something them. that there was something that you said that I, I really liked because it takes someone who's like done all of this deep work to really realize like, Hey, I'm not doing so well. Cause when I asked you that question, you were able to like take the perspective of, man, I wish I would get reached out to more, but I also recognize that my pattern is to be the one that reaches out, but I haven't felt like my best in a year and a half. Yeah. How do you not place judgment on that? Like if you're not in the best season of your life, how can you not feel bad about that? Oh, Helen, great question. And that, that one's a hard pill for me to swallow because I'm usually somebody who's very loyal. And like, I will show up. I think nowadays it's more like, if you really need somebody to be there, I'll be there. But if it's kind of like, eh, it's okay, then... I think I have to remind myself, like, look, you can have your off days. Just maybe pay attention to see how long it goes on for. How do, man, I I think I'm still struggling with that because I do have a more perfectionistic tendency where I have to be the best. I'm very competitive. Even with friends I show up, I have a little pride in being the one who, like, people call me. My buddy, <laughs> he hadn't called me in so long, and he called me, and all the other guys are like, hey, how's this friend doing? I'm like, he called me. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, and I, I feel great about that, but <laughs> um, acceptance, man. I'm still working on that, to be quite honest, to not put so much pressure to be that friend who always shows up, but to give myself grace and be like, all right, it's okay. You're not a terrible friend. You just need time off, and that's okay. Um, I think the more uh, guilt or shame there is, the more you're going to like overcompensate or pull too far back. Um, Mm. Do you think guys struggle with a lot more guilt and shame than people notice? I think so. I think so. I think it's because it's not normalized that they talk about it. So therefore, it's like it has piled up. <laughs> um, yeah. Shame about who I am as a friend, who I am as a son. I mean, how I like shame about how I'm not providing enough for my family. Like, There's a lot of things that guys can feel shameful about, but they don't talk about it. How it's do only, they usually deal with it? To keep it to themselves. <laughs> yeah. one, of, one of my buddies, he's been thinking about something for a long time, like four years plus. And he's only brought up the topic twice to me. And I'm his best friend. But he, he called me. He's like, dude, I, I can't hold this any longer. <laughs> I have to talk to somebody about it. 
And I'm like, good, this is good. Talk to me. He's like, okay, okay, okay. So that's also like another way that one could support their friends is like, don't discount what they're feeling, but say, hey, man, I'm here for you. Talk, like what's going on? Don't be like, eh, it's all right. <laughs> that's not helpful at all. Because then they just put something out there or is trying to reach out to you and then you just denied it in some way. And that's not helpful. I I kind of get fired up right now. <laughs> you are getting fired up, but I love that because like it means that you care about this topic. Were you like this when you did the two-hour panel? Was it a two-hour panel or one-hour panel that you did with Jack at the toxic masculinity thing? I think it was an hour. I think it was an hour. I don't remember feeling this fired up. (laughs) Well, this is a more intentional conversation. The reason why I think there's, um, I was in preparing for this conversation and like the future conversations that we're going to have with other therapists at YCC and like other people, I looked up like Asian American podcasts and I Mm -hmm. found one about like two best male Asian friends talking for like an hour. And one was like an improv comedian. Another one, I actually didn't get to hear his story because I was listening to one, like talk about his dad. Yeah. And one of the conversations that he was having was, I just never really felt like I was supported. I always had to provide and to like be that guy that people could rely on. But what about me? Like, what do I want? And as men, like, we're all like, this is him. This is his perspective because I'm obviously a woman. But he was like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a woman to anyone who's listening. <laughs> and he was saying, like, it took a lot for me to tell my dad. But I also know that, like, in my culture as an Asian American man, you have to survive and you have to provide. And like hearing your story, I think it makes sense that you feel fired up because you're talking about things that you haven't had the space to talk about before. And it brings people so much peace when they're able to like, just like let it out. I think, I think there are a lot of guys who would benefit from just getting it out. You're right. Like the expectation to provide sort of puts this label that you can't show your cards and what you're struggling with because then there are other people how are they going to get taken care of i remember being in a very much provider role with my mom and my sister yeah all my friends are in marriages or soon to be parents and i think there's a lot of pressure there yeah. What does the professor, the professor, <laughs> what does the pressure to provide like do to a guy? And is oh it something gosh. that you, and what does it like, is, and I'm speaking as like a cisgender heterosexual woman who like has never really stepped into the shoes of a guy. I've only really seen from the outside. And yeah. so I'm coming from a place of like natural curiosity. Like, is this something that is taught? Is it inborn? Is it set by example? And like, what does it do to a man? 
I think culture, therefore family, ethnic values are at play, regionalism, regional values. I think they're all at play. It depends, really, but I think from all my buddies and friends, like, it puts this pressure to sometimes maybe put away our desires and find the one that's most financially, what is it, feasible, viable? Are those all the same words? I think, I think they're basically the same term. They're just interchangeable. Yeah, like yeah. be the provider. And there are times where our own desires can't be met because they might not be giving financially. I know for me, like I would want a family, but what that does to me, it it puts so much stress and anxiety on I need to get the highest paycheck then. I need to make sure I get the best benefits for the future of my family. And for me, like, granted, it's my future wifey's choice, but like, <laughs> if it was my choice, I'd be like, babe, you don't have to work. Are you kidding me? It's like, <laughs> that's an automatic response from me. I will do that so that you can take care of the kids. That's just a very ingrained thing for me. If she wants to be a boss, then sure, go, go ahead and do it. <laughs> But we do, there is that extra layer of pressure to provide. Or, and then again, I, I could think of plenty of examples where it's hard for guys to be vulnerable that they don't have enough money or their finances aren't in order because there is this, it's changing now, but there was this idea of men should pay for the dates. Mm -hmm. So then the guys are going to have to figure out oh my God, I, in order to show that I care, I have to plan all these dates. But there's so much growth that can come from vulnerability. Like once you open that up, I've seen partners, they're like, you don't have to plan all these extravagant things. It could just be something that you've planned. It doesn't have to cost money. But in the guy's mind, it's like oh, all this pressure to do all these things. And that's stressful. It's almost like I'm getting, there's this phrase that I learned in sociology class called a fish doesn't know that they're in water. And it's almost like I'm starting to learn what the substance is in the water feels like. It's the same analogy that they used in Soul, <laughs> Disney Pixar. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It's something that I think is like an age old phrase because I think toxic masculinity is just one of those terms where it's just like highlighting what is and like the repercussions of what is because like even as I'm listening to this everything that you said is like normal in our society like paying for food being the provider like just not saying anything being quiet yeah and like for someone who's like just listening to this, I'm trying to put myself in that position. Like, why is that bad? You think? Why it, why are those things bad? Yeah. Like you just called out so many things that I think as a therapist from our background, we acknowledge the negative repercussions of those 
like societal pressures. But for someone who doesn't really know why that's bad or like why that like mentally it takes a toll on you, can you just like speak on that for a second? Yes. I think in some ways it can affect the dynamic of your future relationships. If you don't open up, there's going to be a lack of emotional connection. And what I mean by that is if you are feeling angry, but you really feel vulnerable that you can't provide financially, I would say your partner is allowed to know what that is all about so that they can know how to best support you. I don't, correct me if I'm wrong, maybe it's, I don't think at the end of the day, if it was a good partnership, that that other partner would be like, no, you have to keep providing for me. They'd be like, no, let's try and work this out together. I also think like, it can change the way like gender expectations are for even women. Like if you wanted to work and go be a boss, but the gender expectation was that, Oh, the man provides. <laughs> then like, do you get a chance to live out what you want to do and put yourself to work and go achieve things? Like, no, like you should, you're allowed to do that. <laughs> um, yeah. Go be, I, I'm very intentional to not say girl boss or lady boss because I just want to say boss. <laughs> Go be a boss. I, I, I mean, things are changing now, but I think that's totally appropriate. <laughs> yeah. Where it's okay to be both. Like it's okay to want to be taken care of while also taking mm -hmm. care of your own needs and others' needs. Yeah. But like it it starts with like being aware of like the water that you're in. Yes. That is probably the biggest thing. The one thing that I see the most in a lot of the clients or partnerships that I see is the lack of deep connection of where you both are. That's so true. I think it's hard and it's scary to put yourself out there in a place of, okay, this is all me, because you could get rejected or whatever. But I think if it's the right partnership, like I said before, the people are going to be there for you and support you. And I think that feeling will surpass... <clears throat> the vulnerability part of like, <gasps> I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Oh God, what a sigh of relief to feel supported. Yeah. And because we're both heterosexual, like we're speaking within the terms of what we know yeah. for yeah. people listening. <laughs> but True. I, yeah, I'm just sort of like sitting with what you're saying and connecting the dots because if you don't understand the systems that control your way of thinking and the dynamics that you live out, like all of these thoughts will conflict with the relationship because gender dynamics really do play a role or your understanding of what gender is plays a role in your future relationships. And so if you're a man and you're like, these are my expectations, I'm supposed to provide for my family, I'm supposed to like make sure that she stays home because she can take care of the kids like 
these are things that people don't always talk about within the context of a partnership or relationship Mm -hmm. or marriage. And so let's say that like, I'm the woman and I decide to go and like live out my life. You might be thinking to yourself, and this is just like an example. The man might be thinking like, am I not enough? That like you feel the need to go out and work. And then there's inevitable anger that can come out from the man of like, I feel vulnerable, but I just want to be angry. And then the conflict ensues because it's all within the system that you never talked about. Yeah. And I think family pressure, I'm speaking more from an Asian background, but like you might get some snarky extended family members being like, why are you taking care of the kids? Mm. I'll, I'll probably get that. My yeah. grandma, she would always say things like this. She means well, but she's always like, men aren't supposed to be particular or like neat and tidy. And I said, grandma, <laughs> you can't say that. <laughs> and then one day I packed her stuff for her without her knowing because I'm just always ahead of those things. And she forgot something. And she's like, oh, my gosh, I have to go back in the house. I said, grandma. Your neat and tidy grandson has already packed it for you. And she goes, oh, my gosh, thank you so much. And I said, what was that about being neat and tidy and stuff? She's like, never mind. (laughs) (laughs) So that's just a funny story. But in-laws might say that. And I think that can contribute to a man feeling like I'm not enough or I'm not doing enough. But maybe it's time we realize how much mother freaking work it takes to take care of children. <laughs> I hope you keep it that takes... part in. <laughs> it's okay. I'll cut that part out. No. <laughs> keep that part in. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. I have a backup recording and I have a Zoom recording. So we have more than enough to work with. But are you good on time? Yeah. 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 So I think that like, I, I'm just grateful for you, Jeff, because like, you're just so real. I try. How do you, (laughs) how do you do that every day? Can't. You can't be. No, you're, I'm exhausted. I think that's where you do need to be consciously aware of how much energy you are giving yourself even if that might be telling your story. And I'm not saying like, oh my gosh, how dare you take, take my energy. I, I agree to this. It is hard though, because I am somebody who's more sensitive and I need my time alone. But yeah, it, <laughs> it's hard. It's hard because this whole world, I feel like it's just facades with social media and things like that and I feel like it would be more energy sucking to be fake too so I'm just kind of figuring out too how do I conserve but also not give away too much of my time that's so reassuring I was feeling a little bit like that the other day actually I wrote a newsletter I I write a daily newsletter for my writing practice Gosh, what, how many things are you doing? I do a lot. I'm like, and that's why I ask those questions. Like I, I ask questions 
mainly circled around what it takes to just like be real and to be hyperproductive. And I think that that's been something that I just naturally do. I have sort of like an all-in personality. If I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. And then I shame myself when I don't do my best. And I think that your vulnerability about like, you can't be great all the time is reassuring (laughs) for me. Well, like, I'm just thinking about it from an athlete standpoint, too. You don't, you don't have an NBA team that wins the same championship every year. Like, it's exhausting. You can't. Yeah. Yeah. You can't. That's Third true. It's like, suck. <laughs> you can't run a hundred miler every day. If you can, you are not of this world. <laughs> I, no way. It's yeah. not sustainable. No. There was a question I was going to ask you. Just about like how someone can start practicing acceptance. Because I think you said earlier, I, I'm working on it. But you being able to say that takes a lot of vulnerability to say i don't know you think it's vulnerable but i'm just like it's just it's just normal for me i think it's because you've practiced it you've lived it okay i'll take it i'll take it ah man self-acceptance because it's more normal the reason why i pointed it out because it's for me like what i've noticed is like it's more common to say that you have it together to put up that facade and to like already have a great life. Like I'm always in a good mood. I'm always high energy. I'm always da da da, what have you. But for you as a man and as a Korean American man, who's like been through so much grief for you to say, like, I'm not okay this season. Like I'm actually, I don't have the answers. And on top of that, too, I'm thinking from the perspective of a therapist, like people think we always have the answers, but we don't. Uh, We're no. just very good at, at asking questions. <laughs> Sometimes I'll tell my clients, I don't know, but I can get back to you. <laughs> how do you get there? Like, how do, what do you, how do I get to a place of self-acceptance that I'm not? How do you get to on? a place where you give yourself permission to say, I don't know. Well, one, you could get caught up in your own lie. <laughs> Being like, oh, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Then you go cry in a corner and then somebody finds you like, you're not okay. I think for me, like, I don't know how to answer that question. Were you always like that? Being able to say, I don't think I'm at acceptance yet. I'm working on it. I want to be at a place where I'm thriving and accepting and... (laughs) I think there's a bit of comparison that's happening. Okay. 
that's not allowing me to accept because yes, there are some things that I could do to shut certain things off, put my head down and grind and work. And it might get me to where I want to be, but I don't feel like that's who I am. Then mm -hmm. at the end of the day, I might be working a job that I hate at that point, all because of one thing that I'm being driven by. According to belief that this is going to serve me as a man or whatever. Yeah. It's about I being know. able to like ask yourself, am I actually being real with myself right now? I think behind closed doors, some people may realize, I don't think I'm being real. For me, that's how I felt like I feel empty. What is there mm -hmm. left? If I am being fake, the way that I see it, like if I'm not being vulnerable, granted, don't put this pressure on yourself, but it won't allow others to be vulnerable. If I say I'm okay, that person's going to see, oh, they're okay, then they must be fine. But I think that's the power of vulnerability is if you say I'm not okay, other people will beg, yeah, me too, I'm not okay. <laughs> and then it becomes like a place of camaraderie rather than was not okay. Yeah. No. Thanks for being here, Jeff. I learned a lot. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. <laughs>